I'm Frank Rossi. From the hills of central New York, in the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. The challenges of golf course superintendents are too many to list, and for sure, while everyone wants to add a major championship to their resume, the dedication required is even greater than the sacrifices we all make every day to provide excellent playing conditions for the golf course and the golfers. My guest on this episode of Frankly Speaking is Zach Reinking, a proud graduate of UW-Madison's Turfgrass program and the golf course superintendent at Erin Hills Golf Club that hosted the 117th U.S. Open Championship in 2017. What follows is a behind-the-scenes look at how Erin Hills came to have a U.S. Open and what it's like to host it as a golf course superintendent and also be a part of a boom of golf course destination sites in the great state of Wisconsin. Here's that conversation with Zach Reinking. Welcome to Frankly Speaking, Zach. It's over a year now since you've had the U.S. Open. What's going on for John Jennings and his crew today? Yeah, well, first off, you know, I appreciate you having me on your show. Um, it's wild. It's, it's such a wild experience. I know John had spent six years in preparation. We had spent seven or eight years in preparation. There's so much buildup to it that you know, there's, there's a bit of a hangover. I mean, the day after, you're still kind of on a high, successful, U.S. Open, um, rave reviews by everybody, so you're kind of feeling that. And by the time you get to day two, you know, there's a there's a lull of, okay, now what? And then by day three, tents are coming down, grandstands are coming down, and you realize that, you know, you have to kind of pick yourself back up from your bootstraps and say, all right, now we have to start restoring this golf course, getting so, it back for either yeah, yeah. daily play or yeah. for our, our membership. Yeah, and, and you know, what I think is important is is how we oftentimes, um, we get accused of being sensitive. That certainly was an issue whenever uh, a golf commentator makes a comment uh, like you know can occur. I'm sure you uh, had your share of them uh, during the event as well. Um, but it, we're, it was sometimes accused of being a little sensitive and a little thin-skinned. But when you talk about the emotions involved, right? I mean, the, the fact is most of us, I think, got into this business working in the shadows, um, really didn't want uh, much acclaim, like working uh, around the game. Uh, all of a sudden, you're hoisted into the spotlight. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a high. It's a, it's a very emotional experience, uh, the intoxication of fame and sort of the whole golf world. You're at the pinnacle, the tip of the sword. Um, I don't think it's easy sometimes for people to understand the emotions. And I, I, it's like tending to anything. I mean, that is a piece of land uh, entrusted in your care. And I don't know how you do your job well if you're not uh, emotionally invested. So... I know, I don't know if you remember, but when I left you that week, I was in tears. I mean, you get so invested in what you're doing, it's hard not to uh, get invested. You want to talk a little bit about how that's been for you over the last year? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the only way that I can put it, it's imagine if you were to write a novel, but you wrote it, you know, in in ink, and you put it out in the landscape, and you're at the mercy of mother nature. I mean, if it rains out, if you get certain conditions, you can plan and prepare for all these things to happen. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, for our US open at a moment's notice, you get two inches of rain comes down hard. And what that does to 
your plan. I mean, you, you've got contingencies. You know what you're what you're going to do if you get rain, if you get these things. But you, you hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, as you lead up to this this seven day period of time, you know, four days of the championship, you're just you're hoping that everything that you've done, you've done it just right, so that it sets you up. And if things don't go exactly as planned, it's it's kind of devastating. I mean, yeah. it's 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 hard. It's hard when you're when you're reliant on the weather, the weather to kind of cop, you know that needs to cooperate with you. And if it doesn't, that can be really challenging. That's right. I mean, it, it goes it goes both ways. You get heavy heavy rain and gets hot and humid. We were soft conditions all week, or even with John. I mean, great conditions, but high winds that they weren't expecting. Those things change. They, they changed the game really quickly. Well, let's let's talk about the property, right? Because it's a fascinating piece of property. And, you know, I was so fortunate to uh, spend my time in Wisconsin working in Madison for four years. And, uh, you know, our mutual mentor, I felt mentored by him as well as a young faculty member, uh, the late Wayne Cousseau, who many of us in Wisconsin, you know, credit with uh, big shifts in our careers. And I I know you do, but let's talk about the the property for a second. This is the Moraine region, the Kettle Moraine region of central. I don't know; it would be central Wisconsin. It is almost getting to be a suburb of uh, Milwaukee. The way Mil Milwaukee's spreading out. But uh, talk a little bit about the golf course, the design, when you came aboard, um, so that people have an understanding of this property a year a year past the open. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great piece of property. When I first stepped foot on it, it was amazing to me that there was 650 acres kind of untouched that was in one big parcel altogether. So it sits sits on the edge of the of of that area that you were you were saying earlier. Then it has a lot of just natural geographic topography. I mean, it's 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 got kettles and marines and eskers and it's just a really naturally undulating piece of property. Um, now, now it looked it, like it looked like, and this is where it gets interesting because you know I got to spend the week with you. It looks like it was well suited to a lynx design, uh, wispy, you know, hilly, uh, nice in the links, no, no, no trees, um, unless there were trees. Were there trees? It, there were some trees on kind of the periphery of the property, but it, oh. it kind of had that like oak savanna feel to it. I mean, pretty wide open piece of property. Right, right. So, so then uh, Dana Fry, Mike Hurdson came in and said, "Oh, looks like a lynx course. Let's plant fescue." <laughs> and so <laughs> we're laughing collectively because you know people that do what we do don't look at the surface. We dig in. So you take a probe, you look down, and what are the soils there at Aaron Hills? Yeah, I mean, it it all starts, if you're in this industry long enough, it all starts with your soil. And, you know, I think falsely, there's some pockets, there's some veins of some really great sand. But, I mean, you think about how the glaciers formed these these landscapes. There's, there's pockets of kind of glacial till, real stony, you know, gravelly mix. And then in the swales, that's where, you know, over years of, of time, erosion has kind of settled really heavy soils. I mean, it's heavy clay silt soils. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say predominantly like a, a clay loam soil. So mm-hmm. 
you've got this kind of collage of, of, of soil types. You have everything from, you know, kind of a good sandy mix on some of our, our hills. And then down in the valleys, you've got you know, some really heavy, heavy clay, you know, oxidized clay soils. Oh. And to, to try to manage for a lot of these, you know, varying soil conditions can be really challenging. Well, and then again, when, you know, this is again where design and, you know, what the golfer might imagine is going on out there, you know, these fescue fairways and they, you know, to hear the people who use our our courses describe them sort of inaccurately (laughs) as these pure fescue golf courses, what we know is those uh, clay loam soil conditions are not ideal uh, for fescues. And I think anybody who grows uh, native rough or fescue rough or limited mowing rough, limited mode rough, that's trying to have fescues out there know how much harder it is to grow fine fescues uh, when you have heavy soils. So when you came in, I think there was, a, an, as I recall from our conversations last year, there was an original uh, grow-in superintendent, and then you got to come in. Correct me about that and tell me what grasses you found on these fairways when you came in. Yeah, so, you know, I was fortunate enough. I actually came to Aaron Hills as an assistant superintendent, um, hired by a superintendent that was an assistant up on the straight sports up in Kohler, and myself and Jeff Rotier came down from there, did kind of the growing together. Jeff was there probably about a year before I had gotten on property and knew that it was going to be a fine fester golf course, knew some of the challenges that I experienced up, up in Kohler, similar you know, overall condition, mm-hmm. heavy soils, trying to do fine fescue. We get to Aaron Hills, and not only are, are we going to do a fine fescue golf course, but the, the intent is to do a fine fescue golf course that allows car traffic on it. And, you know, the growing went okay. I mean, that's the thing with fine fescue. You can, you can get it established even in some heavier soils. The problem becomes is when you start adding the stresses that we put on golf courses for just daily play. When you start to, you know, you get a heavy rain and then you try to mow it or you get hot conditions and then you try to, to do something to it. You drive a cart over it. You know, the idea with fine fescue is on a well-drained soil, you know, that, that plant will produce a root that will go 12 inches deep and it has the ability to handle drought conditions has the ability to kind of handle some of those those extra stresses when it's when it's in in heavy clay soils you know it's almost like a pole plant i mean it does not produce a a, you know healthy enough cap root and you put it under any kind of a stress um you know you do one thing wrong you over irrigate once you forget to irrigate just that one time you over fertilize you do something to it i mean you need to be almost perfect in order to keep that stuff alive. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, that that's the thing. I, I think what's important for folks to understand about the fescues, and this is the thing we have to get across to the designers and the, golf, in, the golfers in general, uh, you know, and maybe at the end of the day they don't really care bec- <laughs> what grass they're playing on because, as you're about to tell me, those low areas are not fine fescue anymore. No, I mean... 
that was the that was the overall struggle. I mean, it was it was twofold. One, you had but heavy clay soils. Two, the original design was, you know, a minimalistic design. So, you know, we left some blind tee shots. We left some blind approach shots. You know, it didn't move. I mean, we hardly moved any any earth on that piece of property at all. I mean, the, the earth moving was, was constricted to just the first fairway, a little bit on the 14th fairway, and that was, that was basically about it. Everything, you know, they did a wonderful job routing the golf course using just the natural contours that were there. However, for tournament play, uh, you know, blind tee shots, blind approach shots, those things just, they weren't the norm for what you'd see for a, a U.S. Amateur or a U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. So we started doing construction. And we would do construction to preserve tee times during the, the peak time of the season. We would do construction in the fall. We would finish it in the spring. So it usually meant earthwork in the fall, seeding in the spring, and by the time that you would get to June 1st and try to open the golf course, I mean, you had you had three, four weeks to try to establish fine fescue in the spring yeah. with soil temperatures that are below you know, 50 degrees, yeah. which is almost yeah. impossible to do. Yeah. So in a lot of those construction areas or those low-lying areas, we had, a, we had to use something else to, to kind of help that fine fescue along. So we reverted to a mix of, you know, still still seeding fine fescue, but then we seeded into it with um, some ryegrass. Yeah, you know, it was the only thing. I mean, we we felt we felt strongly, I should say, ownership at the time, and architects felt strongly not to use a, a colonial bent grass. Which right. I, I don't have an opinion as to why they did or didn't. So they really the only other option we had to just get good turf density was putting in hmm. you know something that kind of played well with fine fescue. So in hindsight, yeah, and so in hindsight, uh, would you have put, would you have put Colonial if it was your call? You know, I I would say if I could do that over again, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's why courses, I think that's why fine fescue golf courses have historically kind of done that because people know that Fescue is going to do really well on the slopes where it can stay dry. It's going to do well on all the knobs. It's going to mm-hmm. do well in areas of the golf course, which it still does right now. But in some of these low-lying areas, drainage collection areas, you know, that's where the the colonial bank grass can survive. And those two grasses can kind of play well with you know together in the the same sward. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would have probably saved us a lot of heartache. If we were to just originally see that, you know, low rate of colonial and fine fescue at the same time. Yeah. All right. So listen, let me, I want to wrap up sort of a review of the course by talking about the amount of turf you have uh, in the surrounds uh, cut pretty tight and the putting greens. This is all uh, creeping bent grass. What kind of bent grass you have on the greens and surrounds? Yeah. So our, our greens are, are all A4. Um, our surrounds are actually still that kind of mix of fine fescue and rye. I mean, once again, it's, it's the challenge of a design where right. California greens that dry out quickly. I mean, they drain well, which mm-hmm. is great, Yeah. but that requires us to have to run some overhead irrigation. We can't just do it with, with a hose. I mean, there's no way that we could keep greens throughout the entire year by just hand watering. So when you start running overhead irrigation, some of that irrigation comes outside of the green. And those areas that were fine fescue immediately around the green, you start putting traffic on that. 
you're you know you're doing a double cut on greens you're you're going out and rolling greens and even if you're using turning boards there's still a lot of traffic right around that edge of the green so right. there's the surrounds are kind of a fine fescue rye mix greens are all a4 bankrafts we've got about four four and a quarter acres of greens on the golf course and our surrounds are probably you know, seven or eight acres I mean, very similar to what you saw at Shinnecock. Yep. We've got a lot of these kind of rollout areas where a ball is allowed to kind of roll off the green and go, can go out you know, 10, 10 or 15 yards past the green if conditions are right. I, I want to start to introduce uh, the idea of you working for a single owner, right? This is a, a, a resort golf course, so uh, not a resort. Well, it's a destination golf course. It's a public golf course. Um, when you talk about the way you have to manage this turf as we uh, go to a break, give me a couple of minutes about what it's like, in your opinion, uh, preparing the golf course every day for the people you know who are paying a fair amount and much like the straights experience, uh, expecting a really uh, high quality experience. Um, you're having to manage that turf uh, for a variety of players, many of them not very good. But on the other hand, many of them really come in there to take a challenge. How do you find that space in between before we go to break about how to manage all these surfaces and these soils and these grasses to the clientele you've got? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting challenge. It's, uh, the first thing is, is, you know, we've got daily play. And expectations from everybody is they're coming to play a U.S. Open golf course. So be it a Monday, a Friday, a Sunday, we've got to try to provide the same condition no matter what. So that's where we're a little bit different from a private club that can kind of dictate depending on if it's men's day or if they know they've got a tournament coming up or they know that you know they might just have an outing on a Monday or the course is closed on a Monday or maybe greens don't need to be as fast on a Wednesday if that's a ladies' day. I mean, our expectations need to stay pretty flat every day which can be a challenge because there's things that I mean, you need to verticut and top dress. You mm-hmm. need to do those things, and how do you time those out so mm-hmm. that you're not impacting somebody on one day that's mm-hmm. paying the same price as the next person that's playing a couple days away? So yeah. we do a lot of just, you know, we try to be you know, as, as, as least invasive as we possibly can yeah. during our season. That's right. Which a lot of the stuff kind of into the spring or the fall. Yeah. And then, I mean, the, the expectation is, I mean, we've got we've got a single owner, which is is you know, I, I feel so incredibly blessed to be in a situation like that because he understands golf. He's an avid golfer. He understands the the resources that need to go into preparing a golf course at the caliber that we try to prepare for every day, and. Uh, there's an open dialogue there, and it's a lot easier than having to go through a membership that might change every couple of years. Um, I've got one person. I can go directly to that person. I can tell him what I need or what's going on in the golf course, and the same thing, he can do the same thing back to me. So great open dialogue. But it's, I'd say that the biggest challenge for us is, you know, even when we're trying to do things. A couple of years ago, we tried to eradicate a lot of the bent grass out of our fairways. So we were killing off this bent grass. Well, if you got a membership, you can send out an email, you can hmm. do a blog, yeah. you can tell the members that, hey, this is what we're going to be doing, and it's in preparation for the U.S. Open. You know, everybody can kind of sign off on it, and then you, you proceed with your plan. Hmm. Well, for us, I mean, people are still paying the same, 
the same premium to come out to the golf course. And we sent an email out and saying, you know, this is what we're doing in preparation. But, you know, there's people that aren't going to get that. They don't understand that, you know, I'm, why, why are you doing this? I'm paying, I'm paying full price to play this golf course. And there's a bunch of dead bent grass patches in the stairway. That's not right. Hmm. So it's, I mean, that's the hard part. That's mm-hmm. the hard part of yeah. trying to, yeah. to manage those expectations. That's right. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Zach Reinking, the golf course superintendent at Erie Hills Country Club. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Finally, a fungicide that's so much more. Civitas Turf Defense is a fungicide, insecticide, and plant protection product that will change the way you look at turf management. Civitas Turf Defense works within the plant to control diseases and pests, reducing requirements for fertilizers and other pesticides. By enhancing stress tolerance, Civitas Turf Defense can reduce water inputs by up to 25% while maintaining acceptable turf quality. Civitas also increases abiotic stress tolerance for improved tolerance to wear in traffic. And with no known resistance issues, there's no worry about maximum yearly application restrictions. Civitas Turf Defense, plant protection redefined. There's more to the story. Visit CivitasTurf.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. Frank Rossi here, the TurfNet Radio Network. Zach Reinking's with us. And Zach, when we left off, we were talking about the way you have to sort of work around maximizing the customer experience out there. And boy, if that isn't a parallel to what Kohler's doing and what, you know, Rob and the Sand Valley guys are doing. Like I said earlier, being part of a golf destination area makes customer service uh, much more. I mean, it certainly should be more front and center and should be front and center to superintendents everywhere. I don't always find that the case. You did say, you know, guys can get away with certain things, sending out emails and notifying people, and that's true. But you also know that doesn't make the grief you get much less. Uh, Although for you guys, it might have economic implications because you rely on the sort of regularity to people playing golf. I want to take a step back with something that uh, is in your background as a player, right? You're a player. So mm-hmm. when you're a golf course superintendent, there's a lot of golf course superintendents that are really good players. It, it's hard to say that I'm a player as much as that I used to play golf. So I still understand the game of golf and, and play it as much as I, I possibly can. One of the great things that I have is I've got an assistant that is, you know, a scratch golfer, and I, I use him a lot as well to kind of help gauge, you know, just the playability of the golf course. And I think one of the things that superintendents struggle with sometimes is there's a difference between aesthetics of a golf course and playability of a golf course. And those things don't always go hand in hand. Lush green golf course is going to play softer and much different. And if you push the boundaries a little bit, sometimes the aesthetics potentially aren't there. And what the playability goes up tenfold. So it's kind of understanding what is, what's that balance. You know, so a lot of times what we do is, is we kind of work from the green out. And we say, okay, if greens are our, our A priority, and most people, if they're going to complain about the golf course, it's going to be something about the greens. And we start there and we say, okay, what can we do to make greens as perfect as possible? And really just focus on the playability of greens. I mean, we, we want to make sure that there's 100% turf coverage, 
besides that, it's are they firm, are they fast, do they roll true, really focusing on that. Then we kind of go out from there and say, okay, our approaches, our approaches are really important to us because that's a big part of this golf course. Can you put a ball up onto the green? Do balls kind of, you know, on a drier day, can the ball roll off the green and can it roll far enough away? And that's where, that's where you start to get the, the blurred lines of, you know, aesthetics where, you know, because we have a couple different varieties of grasses, we're not a, a mono stand of grass. There's different colors. There's different textures. Mm-hmm. And what can we do to try to blend those things? I mean, a lot of times we kind of joke, but we do have to use some smoke and mirrors to just try to make sure that you can get kind of both things at the same time. Exactly. One of the things that we found was, you know, we started to use some civitas as not only, you know, there's plant protecting properties, and we saw a lot of really great just traffic tolerance, you know, during the open, after the open. But it also helped us to just kind of smooth out the color of the golf course, helped us to get everything to kind of blend. So even when we pushed the envelope a little bit further, started drawing things out, and the fescue turns one color, the rye turns a little bit different, the polar turns a little bit different, that was kind of a way for us to say, okay, everything is kind of, it kind of smooths it out. It, it doesn't make it as sharp of a contrast from, from one to the other. So you know, our focus is really more on, the playability of the golf course. And it, that's an interesting point. I mean, the way we want it. That's right. And and to me, that that's really where I want to go next with you. How much has being able to measure things helped you with playability? It has virtually changed our management practice 180. We went from, I can think back to being an intern and being kind of first in the industry, and you, you waited for turf to turn off color, and then you watered it. But the problem was, then the next day, you know, that turf probably is well hydrated, but it was still off color. So somebody else came and then that person watered it. And then the third day, somebody else came and watered that same spot without really realizing that, you know, there was an adequate amount of, of moisture in that location. You're just kind of going off of a feel. It was more of an art. And there is still that art involved in our industry, but the science is really starting to kind of take over. And moisture meters are just a huge advantage because now we can say, we can look at ET rates and we can look at at our moisture meters and we can say, all right, if we're at X this morning and we we can anticipate our ET rate's going to be this, what's the number that gets us through the day that allows us to put the least amount of water down, which gives us the best condition of the golf course and allows us to still keep turf happy? Right. And we did the same thing with our, our, our true firm. We actually went out and, and bought one from from Spectrum Technologies just to use as kind of a data set to start to understand, okay, after a roll, what did a roll do? What did if we did a you know, if we used dry jet, if we changed our sand, one yeah. of the things that we started to learn was, you know, particle size in sand. Really right. started looking at top dressing sand and saying, Okay, what is our what is our coefficient of uniformity Mm -hmm. and how is the top dressing sand that we've used for the last couple of years, maybe impacted what the firmness is. Mm -hmm. And can we kind of bring that back? So we looked at, you know, changing our, our top dressing sand, Mm -hmm. doing some, some solid kind airification, using a new sand. How did that change firmness? Yeah. And one of the things that we're doing now, in addition to that is we're actually collecting our clippings and understanding, okay, What's the what's the response 
we put down fur, what's the response? What kind of clipping yield are we getting? Are we right. putting down too much fur for right. what we really need? Right. What are our PGRs doing? And it just, it allows you, I don't know if there's ever the perfect plan, right. but it allows you to get really close to that, you know, ideal scenario where you're watering just about the right amount. You're right. fertilizing just about the right amount. Right. I'm Frank Rossi. I'm with Zach Reinking, the golf course superintendent at Aaron Hills Golf Club. We'll be right back. Golf course superintendents all agree. Traditional core aeration is time-consuming, labor-intensive, and unpopular with golfers. Dryject is a revolutionary service that relieves compaction, increases water infiltration, improves gas exchange, and amends your root zone all at the same time, leaving the turf surface smooth and immediately playable. Best of all, an independent Dryject service professional does it for you, there and gone before you know it. Dryject the only process in the world that aerates, top dresses, and amends in one pass. Visit dryject.com to locate your nearest Dryject service center. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm Frank Rossi here in the hills of central New York, joined by my pal Zach Reinking, the golf course superintendent at Aaron Hills Golf Club. You know, what's the heart and soul of the crew uh, like at Aaron Hills, it's just it's one big team. I mean, it's it's a family. We have worked with these guys for several years. I mean, Alex has been an assistant with us. He was actually a staff member. Went back to school at UW for turf grass. So you know, he was at the inception of the golf course. He worked as a staff member back in 2005, 2006. Uh, became an assistant for us in 2012. John's been with us since 2010. So. And I'm really fortunate to have these guys for several years. So they just know the ins and outs of the golf course, work really well together, really team atmosphere, family atmosphere. And then Tim and Tim Roddy, I mean, I, I just can't say enough about the importance of a great mechanic, somebody that just has the passion for what they do. And, and Tim is just one of those guys that, I mean, he, he will not let a mower leave the shop unless he knows that it, it is absolutely perfect. Okay. And he bounces a lot of really great ideas mm-hmm. off of, of me and our staff. And attention to detail That's is true. one of the reasons. I mean, we had, we had players compliment about I mean, best screens they've ever played on for a U.S. Open, yeah. best screens that they've you know, maybe ever played on. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's really a testament to what Tim has been able right. to do with just controlling sharpness of real right. allowing us to go at certain heights of cuts. I right. Mean, Tim is you know Let's talk about this for a second. This is a to me Tim I would have to say I think you were about to say and of course leave it to me to cut you off is probably the single most important guy at that entire operation other than you and maybe a few of the assistants but what that guy does with the equipment to me was so vital uh to your success. I, I'm correct in assuming that, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, I mean, so so here's what I saw Tim do. So Tim says to me, you guys closed in October, mid-October last year, right? Like you normally yep. do. And because mm-hmm. the Open was only going to be about um, a month of you guys being open, you decided, uh, the ownership and you guys decided you were just going to stay closed for that month 
and just uh, play the U.S. Open, which, of course, from a divot-fixing perspective was <laughs> spectacular. But what did that closing allow you and Tim to do in coordinating the mowing heights, the top dressing, and the mower setup? Can you talk for a little bit about what I believe to be one of the most uh, important things I learned from your championship was the way you guys managed that time mowing heights, sand, and mower setup. Yeah, it was it was such a great advantage for us to not be open. And it, what it did is allowed us to kind of use the, the off-season to kind of prepare. And we came up with a schedule of when we were going to top dress, what heights we would be at before the top dress, after the top dress, how we would kind of slowly take greens down. And that, that combination of, you know, continually mowing turf. I mean, that's the most stressful thing that we do on greens, but yet it's the thing that, you know, you can, you can train greens, you can groom greens to get to a a certain, a certain caliber, a certain Mm -hmm. condition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Tim's ability to, you know, set mowers up to such perfection and allow us to get to where we were before the open, it, it just, it enabled us to, to, to just have healthy turf that we knew that we could just abuse all week long because we knew that the cut quality was there, that we weren't getting these kind of abiotic stresses right. that can do a lot of damage. That's right. Um, it just, it wasn't there. Yeah. And I'd have to say, what I've noticed in the last several uh, really tournament quality greens I've walked on at the Women's Open in Lancaster and then you and now Shinnecock is, and I've been pretty much trying to tell anybody who listened to me about this, that now that we have focused on firmness and not just speed, what I believe we're starting to see is if you get firm greens, you can get them fast because it allows the specialists like Tim to really get those mowers dialed in. If that mower has to slog through a soft, mushy surface, it's simply not working at maximum capacity because it's sinking into the canopy. So did, I mean, I think the way you coordinated the sand applications with the mower setup that ultimately gave you those firm greens, uh, I think was one of the keys, not just for you, but you would tell golf course superintendents everywhere, get the darn greens firm, right? Yeah. I mean, if if there was two tools that you could pick from between a, a stint meter and a true firm, the true firm is probably the more important of the two, because honestly... Once you get greens firm, speed just naturally comes. That's right. I mean, it's it's a lot harder to get softer greens fast. Well, and without greens, adding tons of stress. Exactly. So, and when we learned that same thing, I mean, we learned that you know, focusing on the the firmness of the green first really allowed us to get the speed kind of as a a secondary benefit without really having to put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to take one more right turn for a couple of minutes and talk about the revolution that's occurring with Wisconsin golf as a destination. How has all these properties around you, and it's not like there weren't great golf courses in Wisconsin. I mean, I'm not going to talk like a, like a dope here. I mean, there's a lot of good golf in Wisconsin before any of you guys were built. But now you got Kohler, you got you, you got Sand Valley, 
Um, you know, you have some adaptations that you're making with the kettle hole, right? The the Sand Valley's got the sandbox. I sort of wonder what um, Kohler's going to do around this area, but the shorter courses look like they're getting popular. Talk for a minute, a couple of just a couple of minutes, Zach, about golf. Uh, uh, Wisconsin as a golf destination. Yeah, you know, I just think that there's so much inertia behind it right now. I, I think it started with Kohler. Kohler's got just wonderful properties. And, you know, we kind of came in on, on the tails of that. I think what's really great about you know, Aaron Hills and Sand Valley is here's two golf courses that just utilize kind of natural contours. I mean, it was this ideal of, you know, a minimalist facility. But what it did is it highlighted some of the just natural uh, splendor of of our state. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that the inertia of that is bringing people in, and how people are saying, okay, not only do they have championship facilities like the Straits Course and Aaron Hills, and then they can play all the other colder facilities, and now you've got Sand Valley, and then you start going outside of that, and you say, oh wait, you know, there's you know courses like Central World that are just yeah, they're just you know great great facilities. So I think that. There is this great inertia. You know, having the championships helped kind of pull people in. And then once they got here, they started understanding, you know, how great the golf in the state of Wisconsin is. So having the PGA Championship, Ryder Cup, U.S. Open has brought people to the state. And once they've gotten here, they they see that I mean, you can make a week out of playing oh. some really great facilities across the entire state. Yeah. Thank you one more time, Zach, for taking the time to join me on Frankly Speaking. Thanks very much. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. Zach Reinking, golf course superintendent at Hills Golf Club. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. I'll be right back with a final thought. No doubt hosting the U.S. Open and being recognized as a golf destination has provided Zach a broad perspective on his work. For all of us listening to his description of the work and his role, is a refreshing reminder of the patience and commitment required for the success at the highest level. And what a joy to be part of an industry where it requires a team effort and good leadership. Zach and Aaron Hills have both. Thanks for listening to this episode of Frankly Speaking.